I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long-term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. In our growing Colorado, some people have to find other ways to make ends meet, and sometimes that means adding additional rental options onto their properties. San Jose looking in its own backyard to try to solve that housing shortage. The city is making it easier for homeowners to build small units on their own land. Anywhere you look, it's obvious Boise is growing really fast and its surging population has brought a tight housing market with rising rents and a dearth of affordable housing. Now the city of Boise is hoping to tweak city code to allow folks to squeeze more people onto existing properties. As Austin continues to grapple with affordable housing options, many say the more options, the better. Though the definition of affordable depends on who you might ask, accessory dwelling units, also known as granny flats, allow folks to live in parts of Austin they might not otherwise be able to do so because of high rents. Yes, we're in a housing crisis, and accessory dwelling units, or ADUs, have risen to the top of the conversation as a potential option to relieve some of the pressure. Known by many names, granny flats, in-law suites, backyard cottages, secondary units. You're likely familiar with some of the names and the general concept, but you may be surprised to know that they were prohibited or highly restricted in many cities throughout the U.S. for over 50 years. This is Spaces Podcast, where we aim to elevate the appreciation and understanding of the spaces we occupy every day. Hello, my name is Demetrius. This is Michelle. Hey, everyone. And this is Jason. Hey, guys. And you're listening to Spaces Podcasts. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us again, everyone. 
Um, today we are discussing ADUs. Those are accessory dwelling units. Jason, when I sent you an email coming into this... Uh, I had no idea what it was. Yeah, you're like, what is an ADU? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so they're accessory dwelling units. They're pretty much the um, detached, uh, well, it can either be detached or attached to your existing home. And it's basically just another home on your lot. So it's like granny flats. Yeah. So instead of being all smart, like people tend to do and they make like these really cool names for things, they could say, oh, like a granny flat. Oh, okay. I got it. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Yeah. Well, just trying to be professional. Dumb it down, brother. Dumb yeah, it down for me. Trying to be you? professional. Yeah. Come on. Uh, so Jason, I've been to your home and seen your lot. Mm -hmm. You could, you could It'd probably, for it. you could do it, uh, on your garage yeah. as a second story to your garage. Cause the yeah. pool, unless you wanted to get rid of the pool. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with the amount of money I spent to put it in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you could do it. Um, or would you be interested in it? No, I don't really like people. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I certainly don't want some stranger living with us. No, I mean, truthfully, like it, it's actually would be nice because our garage is about a two and a half car garage, right? Yeah. So it's a good size space. So you're looking at what, five, 600 feet, yeah. square feet total. Um, it would be perfect for like about, cause, and I've already got bathroom in the garage as yeah. you know. Yeah. So it's like the plumbing's there. Everything's there. It would be a killer studio space. Yeah. But I just have no desire to have anybody living on my property other than my beautiful wife and two kids. Yeah. Yeah. Me Which, too. Me too. I want to live there too. <laughs> but it might be good for when I get in trouble and I could go on. Yeah. Yeah. Go, you know, the, man cave it. The, That'd be good. The dock house. Yeah. Michelle, I haven't seen your place. Would you, would you be able to, and would you be interested in doing a ADU? We would be able to. I don't know if the zoning would allow that. Okay. Um, that means you have to permit, so just don't permit Although it. I do think that there is someone, in fact, I know that there is an accessory dwelling unit in the house across the street from us. So you um, probably... And there's a fireman. I just don't know if his, if that's, if, I don't know if it's permitted or not. I mean, so, I know it's there, but I yeah. just don't know if that's. You said he's a firefighter? He's a fireman. I yeah. guarantee you it's not permitted. Yeah. So <laughs> no, I'm serious. No, no, sorry. The, the person residing in the ADU is a fireman. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there's a Got family uh, who I've actually never met, but the fireman I know does live up there so you guys are friendly because yeah. your neighbor across the street never oh, met yeah. him okay uh, he's it's hard to explain he's like across the street and yeah it, <laughs> to the side it doesn't really the matter type of deal, yeah. as for my house yes there is room and we i mean i my house is a single story we have a garage as well that could you know you could put a, a adu above the garage so yeah. it's definitely a possibility yeah um i'm kind of like jason i don't know that i would necessarily want to be a landlord within my own residence but i do like the idea for you know the quote-unquote granny flat i think that is interesting so if my parents or the in-laws you know, yeah exactly mm -hmm. yeah again so, i don't want my parents or my in-laws <laughs> well i can't guarantee, anywhere near me <laughs> you know to be honest i'm not sure i want my parents I'll, either however i'll pay to put them in a home or however, something whatever it is child care that's beneficial yeah, yeah i guess it can be I live in an apartment, so I would not be able to do the uh, ADU here, <laughs> obviously. But Might be uh, frowned upon. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think I have the space. <laughs> probably not. Yeah. So um, today, I probably could do it, but you wouldn't have enough parking spaces. That would be the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're. Uh, so today we are discussing ADUs, and we have brought in a guest today. 
um, which we'll introduce in a second. But before we get to our guests, we're going to do story time. So I was recently, I recently went to, it's called the AIA convention, American Institute of Architects. So I went to the conference and pretty much had like, you know, the Ben Stiller movie where it's like, one bad thing happens after the next after the next uh pretty much had that so i don't know if you guys can tell but r- about a week before i got my hair cut Dude, your I hair's think, always super short like, and then like the, and then like the day before i was like oh i'll get it touched up so it's like really fresh and when uh <laughs> so t- sometimes when you go for perfection you end up screwing up things so i'm like you know, the front is, like, not really right. It's a little bit too long. So you end up with a five head? I'm getting, I'm getting it cleaned up, and then it's just, like, all of a sudden I hear it. I was like, oh, God. So I look in the mirror, and it's like, oh. Yeah, there's, like, a chunk that's noticeably lower than the rest. It's like, oh, man. So, uh, so I pretty much just, like, whatever. And I had two options. Either just go roll with it or cut the rest uh, short. yeah or cut the rest short so i decided to just go with it i didn't want to screw it up you left the patch in your head yeah, yeah. <laughs> where's the patch i don't see it that's how fast my hair grows yeah it's right in the front it's like yep, right there. it's like right oh right okay here. i was thinking yeah. that might yeah. be it but, yeah. but i wasn't yeah. sure okay. yeah so so uh, i was like whatever i'll just go with it did you pay for the haircut yes okay Keep going. so uh was it the same barber that cut your hair a week prior no what do you do go to like a fantastic sam's well, not them, but I mean, similar. You should be going the to like re- a Logan and Sons or some fancy schmancy. So I'm flying out, uh, and for everyone in the room is very familiar with John Wayne. For those that are not from our area, John Wayne has this uh, noise ordinance for Newport Beach, which is adjacent yeah. to it. And the it's plane, takeoff, yeah. yeah, the plane takes off at a ridiculous <laughs> steep angle. So you don't like flying. Uh, no, I don't mind it, okay. but everyone that I talk to about it hates it. So they fly out at a steep angle. You get like I a say zero they, gravity field. They cut the power, yeah. but they say they power down. Right, right. Yeah, then you get that kind of zero gravity yeah. lift yeah. as you're yeah. floating over Newport. Yeah, exactly. And then once you get over the ocean, then they turn the power back on. But this time, for whatever reason, it was like crazier than normal. It's jostling in the air, and it's you get that uh, zero gravity but it seemed like it happened about five or six times i was like what is going on (laughs) so fast forward we land and uh, i got a patch in my head and we're gonna die yeah yeah exactly that's i'm gonna die like this uh so we land in uh vegas can't takes forever to get my luggage finally make it to my hotel which i thought i was i uh noted that i was gonna check in early and i didn't uh, right. So that was a whole mess, and I'm standing in line. Where were you staying? I don't know. It was like right next to the convention center. Okay. Uh, standing in line, uh, and I'm, I have my my bag, and uh, I realize it's the wrong bag. No. <laughs> so all of a sudden, <laughs> as I'm kind of moving forward, my bag is like not moving. I'm like what the <laughs> hell? And it's dragging and not rolling. So I look down, the, the wheel gone. broke. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's like. What are you serious? <laughs> so I had my suit and holding my suit by the hook, and all of a sudden my suit just hits the ground. And it's like, what in the hell? For whatever reason, the screw just came unscrewed from the wooden <laughs> hanger. 
my suit drops on the ground. Everything is all untangled, and it's, and he's dragging his overpacked suitcase without yeah, a wheel. We're not talking about any floor. We're talking about a floor in Vegas. Yeah, like it's totally different. And there's right? like a bunch of drunk people around, Perfect. so they have to Sticky. pick up my balled up suit and try and straighten it out. And it was just, it was a train wreck. So anyway, we'll move on from from that story. <laughs> you guys got me all. That was a good one. I appreciated now. that yeah, story. That was really sad. Yeah. <laughs> sad. It's just sad. <laughs> so today, uh, we'll get back to the ADU conversation. So today we have uh, a guest that came in uh, to give us a, a first-person perspective of what it's like to not only build one, but to live in one. So our guest is a licensed architect in California and founder of Matterform Architecture and Development. So is he a competitor of yours? <laughs> we'll get to that. All right. uh, originally from Alaska, he has a bachelor's and master's degree in architecture from Montana State University and over 20 years experience with top architectural practices in Southern California. He has worked on a variety of award-winning projects within the market segments of commercial, civic, higher education, and low to high density residential. His work aims to maximize property value, create a strong sense of place, and make a positive impact on the human experience. He lives with his wife, Charity, and two and their two dogs, Simba and Timon. Hey. That's funny. <laughs> uh, in Fullerton, California, where they recently built and occupy an accessory dwelling unit on their property. He is currently developing a line of affordable smart homes and ADUs that will be pre that will be prefabricated and assembled on site in a fraction of the time compared to traditional construction. And his website is matterformarch.com. Travis Mahoney. Travis, thank you for joining hello, us. Hello, Thank you. Glad to be here. Appreciate you coming in. So just to jump right to it, because uh, we'll probably mention it at some point, uh, we used to work together at a local firm here and... I think I jumped ship first, and then you were shortly after, what, about six months or so after? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so we, we used to work together, not on the same projects, but um, in the same company. So aside from your bio, was there anything else you want to kind of give us some insight into um, or expand on? Well, I would say that when I started uh, architecture school, it was... It was, uh, I was going in a very uh, bad direction when I was in high school and yeah. my teens and um, drafting uh, really saved my life because yeah. I got a job when I was in high school working for a local engineering company doing drafting and it really gave me direction in life and I'm really grateful for that because I look back and, and uh, I'm just amazed that, you know, sometimes, sometimes we need to be exposed to different things. And, and for me, uh, I found something that I was good at and it kind of led me in a direction that, you know, ultimately, you know, I went to architecture school and that's a whole nother story, but yeah. So it's been a, a journeyed path for sure. Yeah. It's, um, glad I was able to, to kind of help you get through things and, and get to this point. Absolutely. But, yeah. So, um, let's, let's jump into the ADU conversation. So you guys, built and live in your own ADU. What was that experience like? Well, 
for my wife and I, we we bought a lot in Fullerton because we anticipated down the road someday we would have room to grow. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you get larger lots in North Orange County and compared to probably around here in Irvine. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for sure. <laughs> yeah. So uh, for us, it was it was uh, the decision to live in that area was mainly just commute time. It was equal for my wife and I going different directions, about an hour commute. So. Uh, Fullerton was a good location, and for us, once we decided to do that, it was a matter of saving money and living on rice and beans for a while. <laughs> yeah. And uh, about five years, we saved up up enough money and took some equity out, and were able to kind of pull the trigger on doing our own ADU. Before we get into the details, to understand a little bit more about ADUs, you got to go back in time. November 22, 1926. A landmark Supreme Court ruling changed the landscape of America. Prior to this day, national and even statewide zoning and regulation was limited. Cities mostly regulated amongst themselves. If someone didn't like how their neighbor was using their property, they took them to trial and let a judge decide what to do. An accepted use was the addition of secondary housing, referred to today as an Accessory Dwelling Unit, or ADU. It's an additional home on the same property as the owner-occupied home, where ownership cannot transfer independent of the primary home. They were built in various configurations. Existing spaces like the basement, attic, or garage could be converted. It could also attach to the main house, be built as a separate structure, or construct it over an existing detached garage. ADUs were used as servant quarters, guest housing, parent or extended family housing, or provided additional income through rental. However, on this day, the Euclid v. Ambler case inadvertently suppressed accessory dwelling units for years to come. Ambler Realty Company planned for an industrial development in Euclid, Ohio, near the village of Euclid Community. After getting wind of the plan, Euclid crafted a zoning ordinance to prevent industrial growth into its community. Ambler Realty sued, arguing that the ordinance devalued their property by limiting its use. While the lower court dismissed the complaint entirely, the Supreme Court held that the zoning ordinance was not an unreasonable extension of the municipality's policing power and was not unconstitutional effectively establishing that municipalities could deny property owners the right to use their land however they chose. Following that decision, America saw an explosion in zoning ordinances. The case did not intend to regulate housing, but the ruling was leveraged to validate development standards and restrictions. Simultaneously, the growth of car culture, advancements in construction technology, A pro-housing government and demand from families returning from war spurred a rapid growth of suburban communities from the late 1930s through the 1960s. The apparent success of these suburbs reinforced the lower density development model and ultimately led many local jurisdictions to prohibit ADU construction. However, this suburban sprawl eventually infected the economy for disadvantaged groups. Now, Single-family zoning and its relevance to modern society and economy has come into question regarding affordability, use of space, 
and discrimination due to lack of diverse and attainable housing stock in desirable communities. Today, more than 550,000 Americans experience homelessness on a typical night. 1.4 million will spend some time in a shelter in a given year, and according to a recent report from the U.S. Council of Economic Advisors, 47% of the American homeless population are located in California, the second most expensive state to live in behind Hawaii. In fact, five of the top 10 most expensive cities to live in in the U.S. are in California, Los Angeles, San Diego, San Jose, Oakland, and San Francisco. In Northern California, housing prices average $449,800 in Oakland to $820,000 in San Francisco. Architect and past builder Nathaniel Muller of WIT Studio, based in Oakland, California, found his business opportunities influenced by the housing crisis in California. ADUs have definitely fallen into my lap. Uh, it is a huge industry right now. There's a lot of attention on it. It's a part of the solution. I don't know that it's like all of the solution, but it's definitely helping because I think when you're in a city, especially like Oakland, you want a lot of diversity and housing options. You want to have different sizes, different price points, mm -hmm. and the ADUs are helping with that for sure. In 2017, Governor Jerry Brown signed two bills to promote ADU construction in California. The bills permitted concurrent construction with the primary residents and reduced parking restrictions and utility fees. Planning for an ADU from the inception of a development is a much more efficient process. But as Nathaniel has experienced, adding an ADU to an existing site can be a complex process. This building, it's kind of a diagram of all of the planning ordinances imposed upon the property of how, how big we can build this house, how much square footage, how high, what the slopes of the roofs can be. And we basically maximized everything we could with those parameters to come up with a pretty clever design. And the result is working with a trapezoidal site. The property is not a typical postage stamp rectangle. So the building is fitting parallel to different property lines so that we could get all the way up to the setbacks we're allowed to build to. And then the wall heights are set at the maximum height so that we could have vaulted ceilings and work with a slope on the site to have a loft above a sunken bedroom that's dug into the hill. So we really pieced it together in a way that got the client, I think, pretty much everything they wanted and uh, was still approvable because that was quite, there were a bunch of hoops that we had to go through. Another hurdle over the years has been NIMBY groups, or Not In My Backyard. These are organized groups that often prevent higher density projects through coordinated pressure and alliances with city officials. Right before we were getting ready to submit, the state changed this blanket statewide law because there were a lot of complaints in other jurisdictions about ADUs. A lot of cities, kind of more high-end, more upscale cities were not happy with the densification. They didn't want more buildings in backyards. They didn't want more people on the street with parking. They didn't want, you know, the open space being taken up. So the state, to appease everybody, just said, okay, we're going to change the laws. You can't build in the rear yard setback anymore. And local jurisdictions, they can change back if they want to. So we had to wait until Oakland City Council changed their own local laws back. ADUs, while small, can be very complex buildings to execute. It's very unpredictable dealing with cities and, and planning ordinances. Every plan checker at the counter has a different interpretation of various rules and regulations. And while some things are very explicit and they say, you know, absolutely can't be bigger than this, can't be higher than that, 
sometimes there's a little ambiguity and, and they'll say, oh, I read it that way. I think that's okay. Or they don't really care. They say, you know what? I like this project. We're going to go through with it, even though it, it's not exactly fitting the letter of the law. And it's, it can be very arbitrary sometimes. And so it's design. There's so many options. There's so many variables. It's a very human thing. And so working with the planning department requires a certain amount of agility, a little bit of ability to argue and persuade and improvise and explain. And so that's kind of why I think the architect plays a critical role for advocating for the client to do that. And ADUs in particular, the way the code has been changing and making things more lenient in general, there's a lot of holes still in the regulations that haven't really been explicitly detailed and written so that you know exactly what is going to be able to be approved or not. As some cities have introduced ADU programs, some are going a step further. In 2018, Minneapolis became the first major U.S. city to end single-family zoning altogether with the plan to permit three-family homes, abolish parking minimums for all new construction, and allow high-density buildings along transit corridors by 2040. Then, in June 2019, Oregon State Senate passed HB 2001, effectively ending single-family zoning in the state of Oregon. In contrast, According to a 2019 New York Times article, 75% of the residential land in many American cities only allow single-family detached housing. In some cities like San Jose, upwards of 94% of residential land is only zoned for single-family detached homes. A full pendulum swing towards high density could be detrimental with concerns of light and air quality, noise, and infrastructure durability. However, to address this crisis, smart growth housing reform is mandatory. In the meantime, the ability to introduce accessory dwelling units offers flexibility to homeowners and a variety of benefits to communities. They increase housing supply at a much lower cost than new development with less impact on infrastructure. They are typically an affordable housing option, elderly or disabled persons can live close to family or caregivers and homeowners can benefit from rental income. With government support and subsidies, a coordinated effort to promote ADU programs nationwide could be a great start to alleviate housing pressures. So when you bought the lot, there was, a ho- there was already a, a unit on it. Yeah, correct? a single family, three bedroom, two bath house. So you guys were living in that? Yeah, we're living in that. Okay, and then decided mm-hmm. to build the ADU yeah. secondarily. Okay. Yeah, and in that five years while we're saving money, I probably did about 20 different designs. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and most yeah. of them were attached to the front house because okay. I thought that would make the most sense. But as we started really thinking about moving in, my wife actually, once, once – you know, we started going forward with it. She's like, hey, I want to, let's live in the back house. We were going to rent out the ADU. Right. And then as it kind of unfolded, we decided, hey, you know, let's move in. And and since we're going to have two residences on the same lot, distance and separation, privacy became an issue. So we detached the ADU. We pushed it far back into the rear of our lot. And then we decided that's that's where we're going to live, and we'll rent out the main house. And financially, it made so more sense. Yeah, I was going to say, how did you? you? Yeah, how did you come to that? That you know, you're living in the three bedroom, two bed, mm-hmm. two bath house on the front of the lot. I'm assuming, right? Mm-hmm. So, was part of that decision that you you in the ADU, it's brand new, versus maybe. The My existing... wife really liked that part. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so the existing part, was right? yeah. so the the main house was or is still 
maybe original or, mm-hmm. or at least older in terms of finishes and, and that's right like we, that. when okay. we bought the house it was already rehabbed so mm-hmm. it was kind of in like new condition Updated. but it's a 1950s house so. yeah. yeah so do you so think and then yeah. and then yeah. the <laughs> other thing that you talked about is just the financial so you know obviously if you can lease out the main home you're going to get more mm-hmm. return on that than you would mm-hmm. leasing out the adu so do you think this is a temporary thing or do you think that this is like hey we just like the smaller footprint of where we're living versus for, being in the main house for for us i don't think we'll ever go back to that front house really honestly yeah we it just fits us the adu we built is a little bit larger than than most probably like it, yeah. it's on the larger side it's a two bedroom they limit you on the bedroom count but we do have a second story loft that adds square footage so oh, wow. it doesn't really feel that much smaller than the front house you know the front house is about 1200 square feet 1260 okay. in the back house if you add the loft and everything it's it's almost the same just under 1200 okay. yeah. talk about parking yeah so the laws have changed since we did our ADU and the main one was you know parking is a big problem for people right. to qualify to do right. an ADU right? right how do you get if you have a two bedroom you have to allow for two, two more parking two more spots cars. Right. yeah and a lot of people have trouble with that well now if you're within a half a mile of public transportation a bus stop uh, oh, you really? do not need that parking requirement. So that opens That's the door huge, for a lot of people. Which is yeah, great it's, for Fullerton, it's, really. Yeah, it's huge for everywhere, actually. <laughs> so for us, I was able to make it work on our site plan to show where two spots would, would fit. You know, every city's got their own unique rules about the parking. In Fullerton, they don't allow tandem parking. So um, we were able to make that work. So does your, does your ADU have its own distinct parking um, and does the front house have its own? We've we've like, established does... parking for the front house. Uh, we give them a spot in our driveway. It looks like and, a shared situation, right? Yeah. Uh, well, we luckily my wife parks in the garage. You know, we're able to make it work to where we're not having to shift cars around and stuff yeah. like that. And there is street parking. Yeah. That we're on a cul-de-sac, so yeah. street parking is not an issue. So we've been able to work it out. So one garage in the ADU is is utilizing the one garage on we, the property. We we actually we we use our garage, and so part of our our lease is we gave our tenants a storage, you know, a tough shed storage. So you know, and the rent's a little bit reduced because they don't have their own garage. Yeah. So yeah, but whatever, it's still killing yeah, the payment, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's really interesting because usually when these things are built. Like we were talking about it earlier, right before Travis got here, Demetrius, and it's like you're usually like, would you rent that out, the granny flat or mm-hmm. whatever? You don't usually build the secondary yeah, unit right. to live into, so that's I mean, right. it's a really unique situation. They yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I they, mean, if you're gonna build something, you might as well build. If you're gonna build anyways, what you want, build what you want, yeah. right. and live in that, you right? Know, and then rent the other one out. Yeah, the cool thing is that you control the spec level, and right. I, I actually went to check it out uh, yesterday, and, and Travis kind of walked me through it. It lives very big, so he did. The whole thing's open. Is, yeah, if, I'm assuming it's the Fullerton one on your website, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean it's really open. Yeah, so he has like a, a lot of glass uh, that opens out, and he really did a really nice job with the landscape. So you yeah. feel like you're connected to the landscape everywhere, yeah. which makes it open up a lot more. And because your eye isn't fixed to what's immediately around you, so you feel like you're in a bigger space than you really are. And then you did the. Uh, what nine foot ceilings mm-hmm. right nine feet ceilings um so so it it's breathes huge. a lot so yeah it um and then he did uh you dedicated a lot of space to your your living uh kind of great room mm-hmm. area yeah when and, we when we did the design 
the idea was make the maximize the living space and minimize the sleeping space. For us, right. that's kind of what it is. So, right. yeah. So our bedrooms are are smaller than probably normal. Yeah. Um, it'd be nice to get a few feet in there, but <laughs> to me, it was more important to have our yeah. have the open space you in the living and kitchen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're sense. just there to sleep. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then you guys took like every little nook and cranny yeah. to do added storage. Well, that's the and... thing about ADUs and small houses in general is there's. In many ways, there's more design in a small house than in a typical single-family house. Well, a lot more thought, you mean. A lot, right? yeah, because yeah, you just I don't want to waste space. I agree. You're, and we're so you're looking for every opportunity yeah. to, for storage. And, yeah. You get really, in, like, in, you know, you have to use a lot of ingenuity. Yeah. It seems like, yeah. Yeah. Use all the corners, you know, uh, closets. We doubled up on our um, our shelf and pole, so we, we stacked our, yeah. you know, you know, I, I walked Demetrius. I said, "This is probably the smallest walk-in closet you'll ever walk in, and you can do a you can do a circle in it, yeah. but uh, it's pretty vertical." Yeah, you can it's, see. I think uh, the closet happens like in that corner, right? Uh-huh. Uh, the the point of the yes. house. So if you look in, at the plan on his website, yeah, that, that there's point, that little like yeah at the back of the house, or which, not the back, maybe yeah, the back of the house, which right? you yeah. can explain in a second. But right at that point is where the closet is. So it's like this weird kind of turnaround. Uh, shelf and pole that that you had to have customized right yeah uh and it's really small but it's like you can Still walk works. in and then he used the full nine feet so he has the double uh shelf and pole so it holds a ton of stuff yeah um but yeah, yeah you can explain well wh- so why the... so on our lot we wanted to push the building back into the far rear setback and for us in fullerton it's 15 feet and it, we're on a cul-de-sac and it's this funky trapezoid shaped lot and so the design made sense to to maximize it um what i ended up doing is making a 45 degree angle at the end of the building so that it's 15 feet on both sides it it's hard to describe and plan it it makes more sense but so so on the outside it works but on the inside it creates these kind of corners when you do a 45 degree and so what do you do with that so for me it was options for storage and you know just making it work well, you had space you needed to fill, and so you figured out a way to do it. Yeah, yeah that's I mean, right. It makes perfect sense. No now, was the garage new as well, or was that no, the existing? Garage was existing? Okay. Yeah, so I created this redwood um, garden wall that goes on the face of the garage, right. just because that's kind of our new entrance. When you walk through our back gate, that's the first thing you see. And instead of seeing this ugly blank garage wall, I wanted to kind of beautify that and make it look more like an object yeah, in the cool. in the property. It's like horizontal slat fencing basically and then you've got those posts in there right to hold planter boxes Mm -hmm. that's pretty cool yeah so i don't know which photo you're looking at but now he has these little planter boxes yeah Yeah. is it shown in there yeah it's super cool yeah redwood it looks like Mm -hmm. so can you talk about the zoning and in the general plan designation and just kind of from the city's perspective and from the neighbor you know your neighbor immediately to the left of your of your lot i'm looking at a site plan uh that we'll probably post i'm sure Mm -hmm. um sort of considerations that had to go into that? Yeah. So for zoning, you know, they passed a bill in 2017, I think it was January, SB 1069, and that that allows less restrictions on ADU development. This happened right after we built ours, of course. So, (laughs) you know, as luck would have it, um, it was in process and I was right in the, you know, we were just about ready to start construction. And, you know, every city has their own, uh, interpretation of that SB 1069 bill. 
And so um, that lacks the parking requirements, that lacks the uh, fire sprinkler requirement, and there's a few other items that reduce cost. So for us, the zoning ordinance gave us permission to do everything we're doing. There are certain limitations, however. One is there's a deed restriction on the property. A lot of cities require a deed restriction. So you have to you have to record a covenant with this with the county basically that you have to live in one of those two units on your property. Okay. And the property owner has to the live property owner in, has to oh, live on yeah okay. one of those two units. Okay. So so this so, can't be a situation where this when you sell it. You can't sell it to Demetrius, who has no intention of living on it, and he's just yeah, going to lease both they're of trying those to, lots. Yeah, they don't want developers buying single-family lots and then putting two homes on and not being there to sort of observe what's going on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so... that's And that's a Fullerton, or would you say that that's pretty consistent across... I would say most cities, Los, from my research... Los Angeles as yeah, well. I would say about 90% of cities have a covenant requirement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's some that don't, but... If we ever sell the property, the future buyer would have to be aware of that and sign that as well. It's like a rider on it, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So for us, the everything was pretty much by right. It was pretty straightforward. Um, they do limit you for two bedrooms. They limit you. Every city's a little bit different. That's what makes ADUs a little confusing because there's no standard across the state. And, and even in the cities, from one city to the next, you know, for instance, um, Fullerton, fortunately, they don't have a, a requirement for square footage being 50% of the main house, which a lot of cities do. A lot of cities do. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, if so you if the main house is 2,000 square feet, then the, the ADU can only be 1,000. Yeah, that's okay. right. So if you have a small house like we did, 1,200, so that would have limited us to like 600 square feet. So Basically a tree house. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you get these little small studios. That's almost what you can do. So so half the cities, they they give you that 50% requirement and most of them the limit is 1200 square feet and two bedrooms Hmm. yeah and then I also wanted to explain uh, the SB 1069 Mm -hmm. so that Senate bill is what the SB stands for and that one specifically is for California Um, and then they basically create this bill to you know make create momentum to do whatever changes they want to make and then each city will adopt that bill and make certain tweaks to it whatever they want specific to their um their city so yeah that was an a opportunity direct... for them to be as difficult as possible <laughs> yeah. well that came out of the crisis the housing crisis here in california and yeah. so governor brown uh sort of mandated that every city has to create their own ordinance to allow adus and and they have to have um, a path for people to do ADUs and removing the, the biggest restriction was parking Yeah, and uh, fire sprinklers. If it's detached for us that um, we would, we would probably save, I don't know, $40,000 if we were to redo it now, because you don't have to have fire sprinklers. Yeah. yeah. That adds a lot of cost because okay. you got to, yeah, Expand we had to, on that fire sprinkler. Thing. Well, for us, so, so for fire sprinklers, you need a, there's a minimum requirement on the, the water line that goes into the house to to work and i think it was like an inch and a half line and a lot of these older homes have one inch yeah, water lines super so, restricted yeah. yeah so you have to end up doing a hot tap into the water line the main in the street and sometimes it's very the, expensive and sometimes a lot of the old cities don't have the water pressure you need either. yeah and that's so you have right to install a pump and yeah it's just like no yeah so there's some challenges there and it drives up cost 
Um, so we have a fully sprinklered building. Um, it's, it's, it's nice. Hopefully it's not a liability, you know, but, uh, if we were to, if anyone wants to do an ADU now, the, the path is a lot clearer and more affordable than when we, that's good. we did it. Oh, that's California. In so, California, yeah. that's right. For the <laughs> so, California audience out there. Yeah. For the first time I've heard California as more affordable. Mm. Not necessarily. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. That's selective hearing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping for something. I'm going to be honest. I, I know City Ventures has had a, a handful of projects where we actually have used ADU um, on single-family detached homes that we've developed and built um, as a means for providing our affordable housing obligation. Um, so it can be a solution for developers and it can be done really well, especially when you have, you know, single family homes that are sitting on larger, more traditional lots and you, you know, bring in a 800 or a thousand square foot ADU unit. Um, it gives a lot of flexibility for that home buyer. So that home buyer now has a leasing opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. So they have the ability to potentially, uh, purchase Airbnb. both units and mm -hmm. and sell if if yeah maybe if if Airbnb is an option in that community um, that could be but then you also start to tie into sort of the next generational living concept right. where you mm -hmm. get you know that next gen unit if you will mm -hmm. that you know in laws or right. or your grown children or whoever um, can start to to also live in. Mm -hmm. Those are both no's for me, by the way. So the one question I have, um, which I actually don't know the answer to, so the ADU. Uh, unit is always on the same parcel map as the lot. Yeah, that's or, right. Okay, so they can can you, they ever be sold no, individually? No, no, you can't split the lot. You cannot split the lot. So it's one lot, right. and the ADU it's not a so it's not a condo map. So it's a it, it it's can't a twofer, be sold. Okay. Twofer situation. Got it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I spoke with you, so I know some of the the things you ran into. But what was the most complex part? Complex, I would say. Finding someone to do a, a hot tap in the street was a little challenging. Uh, I was getting bids that were just crazy high because most people that are qualified to do that with that special, I think it's a class, whatever, CA license, construction license. Um, most of them do tract homes and, you know, they're used to large doing large developments. So to do one and for us, it was, you know, <laughs> we were getting prices like $30,000 yeah. and, so that was that was kind of a challenge, but we were able to find a guy that that did it. It's kind of a side job, and it took him a day, and I think we paid seven thousand, something like that, and so that really helped. Yeah, you know what I think is interesting in this whole like I remember having that conversation with uh, uh, RSI when they started doing their you know knock down mm. and construction thing. Theirs was that was their solution. Instead of doing the granny flat ADU thing, they're like, instead of spending X on doing whatever this is and adding space or whatever, why not have, why don't you just knock the whole thing down and their thing was for the same price, they could build you a new single family home and a garage with a flat above it, right? Um, as opposed to all the redevelopment that goes along mm -hmm. with it. I'm curious if you ever looked at the two and what that... Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question because... The city of Fullerton, um, you know, there's there's all these fees that they tack on because they consider it a new development, right? right? So you have all these impact fees. Yep. Mm. And for us, to give you an example, there's a park fee for Parks and Rec to keep up the Parks and Recs in the city of Fullerton. <laughs> yeah. I wrote a check for $12,000 oh. for this little house. <laughs> and you add all these impact fees. You have sanitation fees. Yeah. You have school fees. Yeah. It was a it was over twenty thousand dollars for these impact Good fees. Lord. So part of that that Senate bill ten sixty nine is 
reducing, making it more affordable and, and clearing the path out for people to be able to do this. And those are fees that a lot of people can't afford. So they've removed a lot of those fees now. And, you know, about six months after we finished our construction, all Sweet. this stuff. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> so if we were to do it again, I, I mean, I, I added it up and it was over $50,000 we would have saved. Oh, that um, sucks. Yeah. Well, we can all go down and to I, the city yeah, right now. Yeah, I was thinking about demand. that, asking for a refund, you know. <laughs> I still have my receipts. So I don't Seriously, know if they right? are. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's horrible. That's a, that's a kick that's in a the... It was, it was tough. That was, yeah, a, that was a, a tough check to write. Oh, man. <laughs> So, uh, but, but that's also what regular developers deal with. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you're looking at, like you have to realize all of a sudden you take something that was going to be, you know, um, you could make it pen. Yeah. And yeah. then all of a sudden it's another $15,000 yeah. fee for something. I mean, that's why I thank God for the BIA and they're always fighting so much of this stuff because it evaporates on you so fast. Yeah. You know what I mean? All of a sudden it just doesn't pencil yeah. anymore. You know, for us, really can't. for us, it, it still worked and it made a lot of sense. Sure. I, I, I had to look at the big picture yeah. on this one yeah. because it, it definitely still penciled out for us. Yeah. And it's just part of the project cost, but it's a tough pill to swallow when you're writing a $27,000 check to the city. Do you, do you mind, I mean, in concept, don't give a direct mm-hmm. number to do the construction on it, start to finish, forget the fees, mm-hmm. construction start to finish on what that was? Yeah, so part of the 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 bidding process, I had such a range. I was, you know, yeah. I wanted to manage the project, yeah. but originally I was thinking of design build and hiring my own subs and yeah. it just was going to be way too much work. Yeah. And so I, I got a GC, I got a bunch of bids and they were all over the place. Yeah. I mean, 30,000, 7,000 for hot We had like 350,000 and I mean, we had just like multipliers by like two and a half 350,000 uh, all to, in. Yeah, all yeah. in. Yeah. I mean, just the construction cost, yeah. right? And so I ended up finding, I kind of went with the lowest bidder and it had some, it worked out for us, but then it also kind of bit us a little bit too. Some challenges, sure. Yeah, because, you know, my drawings were pretty thorough and a lot of times when you go with the lowest bidder, they'll change order you to death. Yep. So you eat that cost yep. later on. So for me, I wasn't too worried about that because the drawings, I had pretty a specific. lot of detail. Yeah, 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 so it's all there. And so I went with the lowest bidder and it worked out pretty good to, until towards the end and uh the draw schedule i had which is the payments that the 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 owner is paying the contractor you're supposed to spread those out and and i did but i didn't leave enough in the end (laughs) i I, if i were to do it over again i would i would have maybe one more draw schedule you can't have them prorated exactly you've got to make that it painful at the end where it's like 50 percent is still left to to go on that last payment you have to give them incentive to finish the project and so what happened is i think our guy ran out of budget and so there was still quite a bit left to do and then he walked away from the job and for three weeks no one knew where this guy went yeah. And his subcontractors were there and no one knew and we it's I like, thought he might have died. Like my worst, sounds like my worst nightmare. It was yeah. it was rough. Oh, and yeah. so oh my gosh. It, it it worked out in the end. It was it was a lot of drama, but uh it cost us about four months extra in the Yikes. build time. Yeah, yeah, you so had that, said three hundred and fifty thousand was one of the quotes that, was that you one of got. Them. Did that end. include the land development and no. did that include fees? That was literally just the construction. That's just the cost. yeah, the bid that I got. Yeah, that's yeah, wild. I, I would say I mean, the, that's very expensive, right? I would say the average when I bid it out, this was two thousand the end of two thousand sixteen was yeah, probably average was like like 275 probably and you're paying top dollar at that point yeah busy. so 275 yeah. and then your uh total square footage was just under 1200 
Yeah, on paper it's 781 square feet because <laughs> they don't count the we we yeah, did a second loft. story. There's yeah. a little trick there that because yeah. they limit you to okay. two bedrooms, so you build a second story, and all of a sudden they're like, "Hey, well that's a that's yeah. a room, right?" But so, actual you know, livable a, square livable footage square footage is, is about, about 1200. Yeah. Yeah, so you classify it as like attic space it's, or something. Yeah, it's, and then it's conditioned attic. It's so just for luxury some, conditioned attic. Yeah, so just oh for boy. some context, so your your direct construction cost, excluding land and excluding government impact fees, um, and excluding it, the cost of the land, was about two hundred and thirty dollars per square foot. Well, for us, it was actually less than that. It was total project cost was around one seventy five. One seventy five total. Oh, total. Yeah. Okay. So that's we, not too bad. Yeah, we we were including able including land development. Yeah, yeah, we 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 did it. We did it on a on a pretty good budget, right? I sorry, I was taking the average of just the bids that you had talked about. Yeah, receiving. oh, if you were to okay. consider the averages, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it's definitely up there. So, and then obviously you said you took the lowest bid, and you probably did a lot of negotiating and that yeah. sort of thing. So. And there's some sweat equity in that too. Sure, but, sure, you're gonna have. So to. I would say probably around two hundred. Two hundred, yeah. Total project cost if yeah. you add everything together. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's expensive, and I think, and that goes back. To what I was talking about was sometimes they're saying it's almost easier just to wipe the whole thing clean and, and build some like a prefab build, you know, which I think maybe yeah. you might be working on. Yeah, right? that's right. So when you look at stuff like that, because the idea of custom or like even we're looking at doing an add on, you know what I mean? It's you usually have a custom type builder mm-hmm. that's coming in and takes forever. You know what I mean? I bleep myself on that one, right? <laughs> they take forever to do this stuff and they charge an enormous amount of money that when you go out to a production job site, They'd be done with in half the time and for half the price. So some of the prefab stuff or the Mm pre-planned stuff that you can box and drop, you Mm -hmm. know, more or less can drastically save costs and nobody's going to know better than you. I mean, as you're developing it, right? That's right. That's awesome. And there are differences too if you go detached versus attached. So yeah, like fire sprinklers aren't required if you're attached and... You know, there's but that's a huge cost. So I mean, if if you look at it, like that was a large line item yeah, in your right. budget, right? I'm I'm assuming because that is expensive. Oh yeah. Like and not only that, the hard part about fire sprinklers too, they actually cause more damage than they save in in a house because what happens is they pop. Yeah. So one of them pops for some reason. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was you know, my like, concern when yeah. we did it. I'm like, I hope these things, dude. And don't... So they pop or you get a faulty one, and then all of a sudden you've yeah. got all sorts of Flood restoration down. and everything that you have to deal with. I mean, it's a stat. That it could be at. a liability. It could yeah, be if they don't yeah. do it right. Yeah, but that's a big line item, so you can save a lot of money there and not having to do that. Did you do anything green or sustainable or solar or just sort of any of the kind of smart technology or modern technology that you see these days? It's wired for that. The I went with two by six walls. It wasn't required just to yeah. maximize insulation. Um, we have a cathedral ceiling in the attic, so. You know, R30 roof with rigid insulation. Um, yeah, nothing, no, no, like exterior insulation or anything mm-hmm. like that. It was a budget, budget I, project. Well, so I was about, I was about to say too, like going back to the discussion we had with, uh, what was her name? Kelly. Plum, Amat Plum. Oh, uh, oh yeah. So when you, when you go back to that, a lot of people like the idea of green and then you see it costs twice as yeah. much and yeah. you're getting into a situation where yeah. you're, You've been eating beans and rice. You're like, I'm tired of this. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have that much more money to extend on it. Yeah. Just give me the right. two by six yeah. with the, you know, the thicker insulation type of deal, as opposed to all the other stuff that goes along with it. Yeah, you know, it's I was, expensive. I was telling Demetrius yesterday when we met that, you know, as an architect, everyone dreams about doing their own home, <laughs> but when you do your own home and you're paying out of your own pocket, it you really. You, you have to find creative ways to extend your money. Well, I think I think you're going to have a different perspective now too, though, when you work with your your 
your next clients. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Cause it's like, I've been there, I've done it myself. I totally understand wanting to save here, 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 or whatever. Like, look, let's save cash here. Let's put the impact here. You know, right. those kind of things that to your point as a designer, I mean, I, you know, I deal with them on a different side on finishes. They want everything that's all glitz and glam, which is great, but they're not paying for it. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I can get something similar for 25% the cost that's if we right. did X. Right. You know, oh no, I can't have it. Well, when you're writing the check, that looks pretty good. You yeah. know what I mean? So it's, so, I mean, which is great for you. Yeah. You'll have great, you know, a great angle to talk with your clients on from That's there. That's right. It'd be awesome. I think you'll dig how he handled his cabinet situation. But before, before you jump into that, I wanted to mention one thing you did on the sort of um, green side, or not really green, but um, as far as taking it into climbing into account is the awning that you did, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and how... How much you think yeah. that saved you on your heat gain? Yeah, I don't, I don't know how much it saves us, but it's it, it the, the heat gain because we have we have south facing windows that open up into our yard, and we wanted to make that as open as possible. Our front house was not sighted very well, so it's kind of dark, and so we wanted to really change that up. And so then you have all this problem with you know s- yeah, southern sun coming it, in yeah. your house, and for us, uh, so so I basically did this design of an awning that wraps around the house, and and uh, it pretty much gives us shade most of the day it helps a lot while still what letting light in yeah. yeah yeah you don't even notice it's there from the inside when you're talking to awning are we talking about softening horizontal uh covering it's like a roof yeah. entry yeah and yeah. Wraps oh yeah no and you've got down lights in it right Is that yes the yeah, yeah yes very cool and then you did the uh oh the the outriggers the <laughs> kickbacks yeah i designed those and built those uh, myself you know you find ways to save money and <laughs> diy whatever you can i diy diy some of the cabinets or the shelving and you know you just you run out of budget after a yeah, while you, you just gotta, gotta get do creative, it yourself right? yeah yeah uh but jumping back to what you were talking about jason on um you know how you can save money here and mm-hmm. there uh travis you want to talk about your your kitchen cabinets yeah so most of the time people go with custom cabinets and that Mm -hmm. means they're sized Mm -hmm. you know to your specific kitchen dimensions Mm -hmm. and um, for me i i went through about a dozen kitchen cabinet manufacturers and i found one here locally that you know they have all everything prefabbed and they're pretty good quality cabinets and i was able to get a layout um, it took a, took a few tries, but I was able to get it all to work to where it saved probably five thousand bucks easily. In cabinets, yeah, easily. What size is your kitchen? Like a ten by ten type of deal? Um, it's about it's twenty. Well, it's a great room, so it's most ADUs. You kind of combine the kitchen and the living right. space. I'm sorry, I should say your countertop space. Oh, so the countertop space. It's it's about fifteen by ten. Okay, something yeah. like that. Yeah, right on. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so I mean, you designed the, modular- to the cabinet rather than yeah. having the cabinet fit to to the design. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's a lot that can be saved there because you're right. The custom cabinets are crazy expensive and there's no reason to do it. And you can get the same materials built in a modular box. And then all you're doing is just picking out a pretty door and color. Yep. And nobody would know the difference. It looks like, good. Yeah. It's- and you can save a ton of cash. Yeah. A ton of cash. As you were designing, I think you touched on it a little bit, but... Were there any kind of common uh, problems that you were trying to resolve or things that um, that you didn't like about your first house? You mentioned the, the light um, and kind of uh, having that openness. Uh, was there anything else that while you were de- designing, you were trying to resolve through your design? I bet you one had to be ceiling heights. Yeah, I just <laughs> right? wanted to make it feel bigger yeah. and more open to the the outside the indoor outdoor space was important for us and also 
we had already designed the landscape design. So I wanted the house to sort of fit in without having to redo all the landscape. And there's with ADUs, it's all about how you create privacy between the two units. Cause now you have two houses on the same lot and right. how much privacy do you want to have? How much communal communal space do you want right. to have? And so that was something that, you know, I had to think through pretty carefully. Where do I put a fence? We added a fence and a gate and it's worked out pretty good. There's still some probably vegetation, some trees that would help even screen it a little bit more. So we're not seeing into each other, you know, with the, the windows, but we get along really good. We're friends with our tenants and, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting when there's a problem cause we're right there, you know, yeah. there's no excuse. It's Knocking like, on the door. Yeah. It's like, Hey, yeah. and there's an expectation to kind of, you know, take now. care of things yeah. right now. Yeah. And, and that's, that's fine. We've, we've been able to make that work, but did you, and you didn't know your tenants prior to them um, becoming your tenants? No, we didn't even advertise. It was, it's kind of a whole nother story, but, but they, they were looking for a house and, uh, they happened to go to the same church that my they were visiting, and my wife uh, was introduced to them. And they they hey we live in Fullerton, find a house for us. And mm-hmm. they basically asked my wife to find a house for them in Fullerton because that's like, what they wanted to move. Yeah. And we were like literally in the middle of construction yeah. that we didn't know when we were going to finish because our <laughs> our contractor went MIA on us. <laughs> yeah, we're like, is he in Mexico? We didn't know where he went. And so it just worked out like the day we moved out, they moved in. It was, awesome. it was just, and, and they've been there about a year and a half and it's been great. Yeah. So it, you are doing it a little opposite, I think, right? Being the property owner living in yeah. the ADU unit. Probably. Um, I, I would assume that that's less common. Um, what are some of the cons? I would say the biggest challenge might be the parking arrangement. If, if you do have, um, if you're not required to have parking, well, you still have to provide parking for right. the tenant. So how you work that out with the tenant and hopefully there's room because, uh, you know, we did have an issue where our tenant had a, a son that was driving and, you know, got a new car. And so now yeah. we have a car, car on the street. Yeah. And so we have a neighbor that likes to complain about everything. So <laughs> uh, that that was a bit of an issue, but we, we resolved that. I can't think of really any. I mean, it's just all been positive for us for the most part. I, I really can't think of any what negative. What I'm kind of, I don't know if this is where we're going next or I, if I'm jumping it. But I think part, uh, before you get to that, yeah, yeah. I think part of it is that you were familiar with the building process is what made it a little bit smoother than, than most people that will try and go at it, you know, um, on their own without really knowing yeah. a whole lot. So you're familiar yeah. with zoning and how to navigate zoning code and all the little mm-hmm. tricks of how to adjust your ceiling heights and stuff like that. Yeah, the the project cost is is probably something that people run into problems with in the mm-hmm. preliminary design phase. Uh, it's very important to get cost estimates because from the research I did, one third of ADUs that are permitted get built. mostly because they're over cost people don't understand that just because it's a small house doesn't mean it's going to be really affordable because you still have you still have fixed costs right the kitchen bathroom all this stuff and in many ways the cost per square foot is way higher than a single family home and you're paying the same permit fee that you would if you were doing a brand new yeah so but that that data maybe is skewed because you're looking at a data set where it's just a property owner owns a single family home, understands that they have the opportunity to put an ADU unit on their existing single family home, like Jason and, and myself. Um, and so they're 
kind of develop or building an ADU. But if you looked at Home Builder, right? So if you took any one of the home builders and they started using ADU, obviously their cost would be probably identical cost to what it is to build the standalone, right? So there'd be right. some economies of scale there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, if you're a builder and you're going to... Because I'm, I'm also on the development side looking to do more development. And I've tried to make it pencil out. And when you're doing two homes on a lot, you, you have the deed restriction you have to think about too. Because now you're going to sell a house with two homes on a lot. Yeah. And a potential buyer, you know, they're, they got to... That's what they got to be looking for because right. um, the cost is going to be more, obviously. And they have to live there. I wonder, though, if that actually helps, right? Because if you look at it as just additional square footage, if they buy an ADU, and here's where maybe I don't know the answer. So if you buy an, uh, a single, if you buy a property that has an ADU unit on it, are you, you're not obligated to lease that no. ADU unit, no, right? No, So you could, I mean, so you, really you're just thinking about it in terms of if, if you're a homeowner or a home buyer, it's just a bigger house. Yeah. With this, with this unique opportunity that you could have your in-laws live there, you could lease it out. Yeah. You well, could. Think, think of like and, it's the same concept at that point, like a casita. Th- exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. It could about. be an right. office. You, right. you, yeah. You don't have to be restricted to it. Being that's the, housing, you know that's I mean? the coolest like, part is the flexibility. A, correct. A lot of people use them as their home office. So the only deed yeah, restriction right. that you're referring to is that you have to, you have live, to live in one of those units. Yeah, okay. that's right. Yeah. So that's when you, if you're a if you're a developer and you're doing this, you have to think about right. is that going to limit the potential right. buyer so market? Market, yeah, yeah. What I was what I was really yeah. interested in was um, so I mean now you're I mean, we haven't gotten into what he's developing as far as product and stuff like that for the ADU type deal because I think we were talking about some prefab type stuff mm-hmm. or whatever. I mean, I'd love to hear about your thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. And kind of just general concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in California right now, the issue is affordability and doing these ADUs, it, it can be pretty pricey. I think a lot of people maybe underestimate how much they cost. <laughs> um, so a way of, from from my experience, it, it, there's ways that you can reduce the labor costs. And one of them that makes the most sense is prefab construction. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different ways that you can prefab, sure. you can modularize it and fork it in and crane it in site and that works for some people but you're also limited on what you can fit on a trailer right right? these eight foot wide boxes so the system that i'm looking at is uh it's a panelized system where all the wall panels and roof panels are constructed off site they're all framed with window openings and essentially they assemble these the whole skeleton of the building within a day they can they just it's amazing how fast I can put these buildings up. So right now I'm working with a couple builders on creating, well, as a designer, I'm creating a line of ADU products that can be panelized and then a type of a joint venture with builders who right. fit, get, guarantee a fixed price. Right. Because I think that's important for buyers is, is trying to narrow down the cost so they can be confident how much they're going to pay for this. And, uh, and then they go up a lot faster. The builder that I've been meeting with, uh, they say they can do them in 30 days. They can have, uh, once the foundation's there, they can, they can finish the total construction in 30 days. So are you familiar then with what RSI was doing at that one point? I'm assuming you've looked at that because they were doing a lot of panelized, uh, they had panelized homes. Mm -hmm. I can't remember. RSI is the company. So, I mean, it's, I think the concepts 
fantastic and it's salt and it and it helps at least address some issues we're having in the field yeah with labor and those types of things um but it hasn't caught on mm-hmm. which i think is interesting mm-hmm. because i do believe there's time savings for sure which and if you're saving time you're saving money potentially right just because of the outlay of time right. um why do you think it hasn't caught on as much is it just purely design or is it education yeah there's a stigma i think that a lot of people have with prefabricated homes there's still that's that what, yeah that's what hurt rsi is the stigma for yeah, one that's what and i'm thinking they couldn't nail down the Cause, design because they were trying quality. to get they were trying to get that tag of like factory built you know yeah. what i mean they're trying to say not it's not a it's not a modular home. It's a factory built home. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, right. So yeah. your two by six construction yeah. done in a factory yeah. is the same as your, you know, wall on site. It's, but it's not a, it's not a trailer. You know what I mean? Like That's they right. were trying to break that stick. Yeah. It's, I, I, it's been it. funny to watch all these different companies have their own language to try yeah. to <laughs> distance themselves. To make from, it sound sexy. As yeah. From to a mobile park. home. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Interesting. Okay. Well, anyway, so how big are these units? Like, what are you looking at? Well, like- the the direction I'm going with it is maybe a little bit different, which is the designs are sort of the prototype designs I'm working on are site specific. So okay. I'm taking the typical lot configurations. Like, for instance, our lot is on a cul-de-sac and it's right. this funky shape. So that's what dictates this the the design of the building. It's right. sort of designed from the outside in right. and then the inside out. Right. And so the way I'm approaching it is is like buying a car. So you, you choose your model of car and the models fit different site configurations okay. and then certain features are customizable. Okay. Not everything, but just right. let's say the kitchen cabinets, flooring, right. things that people have strong preferences on. And then offering a, an afford, so that gives me opportunities to create an affordable product, especially if I'm working with the builders who can guarantee a price and they've vetted the design and we value engineered it and stuff like right. that. So and then all the components are, are shipped on site and it's sort of a kit of parts right at that point and you're and so who would be doing the construction because you may have a general contractor that's going to assemble yeah. it on site so what factory is is putting that together you have somebody local doing that or uh yes they well the builders would would do it they, okay. there's a system out there that i'm looking at that they would actually they would prefabricate in their factory and everything gets flat packed onto a truck. Just like a truss. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like trusses, you know, and they just, it's amazing seeing how fast they put these things up and it's, it's the roof, it's all your walls and the system I'm looking at, it's actually, um, cold form steel. So it's, it's, uh, really, yeah, it's all steel. So there's no rot. There's, there's no warping steel construction. Yeah. Yeah, I've been homes. I've been saying this for so long, and then the only issue was the no thermal thermal, thermal bridge, bridging, yeah. which you've worked out as well, right? Yeah, I mean you have to have hold, a, hold on. <laughs> what is that? Thermal bridging is especially for metal; it's an issue, but yeah. typically wood studs because it can because it conducts they, heat. Yeah, it's yeah. the R value on a on a typical okay. s- um, uh, wood frame building. You're you have great insulation between the studs, but your stud is yeah. where you're going to lose. The yeah. heat transmission comes through the stud and into your space. Yeah. And so that's called thermal bridging. See, see, this goes back to what I was saying about ADU. You call it a granny flat. They're saying thermal bridging. I'm saying conducts heat. <laughs> same you see thing. what I'm saying? Like it's the same tomato, damn thing. Tomato, tomato. Like so for the rest of the people out here that don't have a degree in architecture and everything else, they're just talking about how metal conducts heat yeah. as opposed to wood. It's pretty simple. So you to, to, <laughs> to mitigate that, you have exterior insulation that, yeah. that Like foam board that. type yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, there's different ways you can do it. So you're just so basically what you're trying to do is cut the amount of heat that's hitting 
yeah your your yeah. your building material yeah because then you're okay. otherwise you're fighting yeah that and that's that's the that's weakest link point. in your building and traditional wood framing is in my opinion it's really obsolete and especially in california where it dries out and everything warps wood just does not work well no, it, doesn't, in california. it likes water when it's growing but not when it's and dead. there's mold ter- ter- yeah. i mean it's just yeah it's outdated but yet we're building houses with wood well, yeah but there's one main reason done. no there's one main reason why because of the speed at which you can do wood on site Versus steel because they've tried steel for a lot of years, right? Mm-hmm. There was multi. I know that I know that builders have gone through multiple iterations mm-hmm. of trying steel framing, but the issue with it is you can't use a nail gun. You know what I mean? When they're mm-hmm. out there framing and it's pop 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 pop, you got to sit here and you got to screw studs mm-hmm. and you have to do that kind of stuff. That's and why it, you go panelized if you're going to do it. But that's but all that's, the holes are pre-drilled, and that's what I'm saying. I think that's the difference is you're picking up the speed that you're losing out outside. Yeah. So that may be. So that's really interesting because when we talked about factory building. It's always been about wood frame still. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? And not only that, the he- the the weight that you're now transporting yeah. is so much lighter right. when you're doing steel frame construction. Yeah. I mean, people need to understand, we're not talking I-beams. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're talking you yeah. know, basic steel studs. Yeah. That stuff is so much lighter to transfer a... Mm-hmm. a, a uh, and strong. Way, way more strong. Yeah. You know what I mean? So And for shear and everything. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really, really interesting. Yeah. The system that I'm working with, like they, can, they can reduce the labor... Uh, 75% on the framing, all the framing of the walls and yeah. the roof. That's, that's awesome. So that's that's labor. <laughs> yeah. that's, even, that's the most expensive part of a building is the labor. 100%. It, aside from land, right? But the yeah, building part true. itself. Because that's like even like when we're looking at, at my uh, remodel and what we wanted to do, I multiple times I've kept thinking steel frame, steel frame, steel mm-hmm. frame for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. But the problem is the speed at which you can do it on site. Yeah. If you're building, if you're, Traditional if you're putting walls together and tilt up, like, you know what I mean? Like, which is how they usually do it. It, it just, it's a time suck. Mm-hmm. It's just not the same. Yeah. That's interesting though. I like mm-hmm. that idea. That's really cool. Yeah. So, uh, thermal bridging. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the more, you know, <laughs> so we're, yeah, we're funny. up against it on time. Uh, so before we get out of here, we want to do this segment, uh, we call, what was that like? And Travis, I want to ask, what was it like when you got into architecture school or getting into architecture school? Okay. Good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, for me, I got, I went into, to, I went to Montana State University in Bozeman and I was always into computers. So I thought, Hey, computer science, I'll double major. And so I started out with my major in computer science and found out pretty quick that programming was probably not my forte, you know, and uh, my grades were, were not great because of that. And um, so after about a year of computer science, I realized I need to switch things up. So I went to architecture school and took my first classes and pretty quick I knew this is this is my thing. Like, like my I jam. knew, yeah, it's my jam. And I knew <laughs> right away, I'm like, this, I was made for this. And, you know, the the many hours working on projects and overnighters and all that it didn't bother me because when you do what you love it's it doesn't feel like work right mm-hmm. so so in montana state university you you have your first year that you're sort of qualifying for position into the program and they're weeding out from 300 people to about 45 slots and yeah. that is starting the second year you're really officially in the program so I had a challenge. I didn't know it at the time, but there was a minimum GPA requirement. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, I'm carrying this really horrible GPA from being in computer science. And 
And so uh, after my first semester, I sat down with the director of the School of Architecture, Tom Wood. And I remember this very vividly. Shout out. He to pulls Tom out Wood. my file and he's looking at my grade. And so the way they, the way they select you into the program, they look at your portfolio after the first year and then they look at your GPA and they weigh the two, right? And they take 45 people out of like 300. And so he looks at my file and he's like, Trav, I, I have some bad news. Like, <laughs> like you, we have a minimum GPA requirement. And like doing the math in my head, you're, even if you get straight A's, you're not going to meet it. So he's like, have you considered construction engineering? And, you know, he, he basically said, go, you know, diff, take a different path. <laughs> get out of my face. <laughs> get out of here. So I was, I was, I just, I listened. I couldn't believe it. And I, was, I, just, I remember walking through campus, you know, just like, what in the world? And, uh, and going by my classmates thinking, gosh, I'm probably gonna be saying goodbye to these people, you know, and, and you get really close when you're working all nighters with these, you know, you're you're a team. And so, uh, what ended up happening is, um, I, I knew that I, I was made for it. So I just, I was kind of like, Hey, I'll prove you wrong kind of thing. And so I just worked really hard. And, and that, that summer, um, I remember submitting everything. I found out in the summer, I was actually here in Newport beach and, and I got the, the call by the grace of God, I got in and they accepted me. I think they made an exception because I, I didn't meet the minimum requirements. So I'm kind of outing myself here, but that was, uh, that was, that was grace, you know, cause I didn't really deserve it, but they must've seen how hard I worked or something. I, to this day, I don't know what was, what they said behind closed doors, yeah. but, wow, that's awesome. but, uh, but yeah, when you find something you like to do, it's, you don't let anything hold you back. You know? I think that's such an important thing. It probably was. It probably was. They saw how much you loved it, how hard you worked at it. And we're like, look, like, and that side of it was probably great. Just you had some historical crap that was bogging you down. And that's a good lesson for most people. Yeah. It's like, find what you like and just work hard. You know what I mean? Like, just work hard Yeah, and it'll work out, you know, but good for you. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So I got to cut this because we're running super long, <laughs> but go. Yeah. But anyway, thank you for for joining us, Travis. This was a really good one, obviously, judging by the time and how we could continue to go. <laughs> but thank you to the listeners for listening. Thank you, Jason and Michelle, for being here. You're welcome. Thank, thank you, you, everyone. Have a great uh, whatever day when you listen to this. Thanks. Oh, I should have done it. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you to Nathaniel Muller for sharing his knowledge on ADU design. To find out more information about him and his firm, WIT Studio, visit wit.studio. And thank you again to Travis Mahoney for sitting down with us to share his experience designing and living in his own ADU. To find out more information about him and his firm, Matterform Architecture and Development, visit matterformarch.com that's m-a-t-t-e-r-f-o-r-m-a-r-c-h.com thank you again for spending some time with us if you've enjoyed this episode please rate or like it and leave a review it helps others find us so it's all up to you If you really love what we're doing, sharing us with your friends is even better. If you stumbled upon the show, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss another episode. And if you're still listening, next time on Spaces Podcast.
over time it became all of a sudden there was this like these cables that existed up on these steel bars that kind of came across vertically then kind of went horizontally and, it, and really over time it kind of felt like this you'd enter this observation deck but it was like this this kind of outdoor prison you know in a world in a way it, it was in, and it really became kind of a deterrent to the overall feeling of what the space needle was originally designed to do Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.